Welcome to Ramble City. But again, it, for me, right at the moment, it is about um, me realizing that I've got to be the person that is the truth of my art form, and that's where it comes back to my grassroots um, aspects as an artist. Because people, you know, want to hear the truth, and if you can convey that through your art form in the most purest, purest form, that's where your 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 heart will take you where you want to. How does one of Australia's leading performer composers in the classical world use the didgeridoo, an indigenous Australian wind instrument dating back over a thousand years, mind you, to navigate more contemporary musical styles, thus expanding the instrument and the culture it represents? Hello, Brandon McCaw here. Hello! I feel very Australian when I say hello like that. How you're going? Welcome to this week's episode. Our guest is William Barton, composer, producer, multi-instrumentalist and a vocalist that is widely recognised as one of Australia's leading didgeridoo players and composers. He has performed with, get this, the Philharmonic Orchestras of London and Berlin to historic events at the Westminster Abbey for Commonwealth Day 2019 and the Beijing Olympics. But this chat takes place at the office of his publishers in 2019 in a studio in Sydney. He explores his Kalkadunga heritage, growing up on a cattle farm, and the focus or philosophy he personally uses to frame his music and his career, his playing and his artistry. Now, don't forget to subscribe for new episodes every single Friday. Oh, and you can find out what I'm up to to hear some of my new album at bradleymccorofficial.com. And visit the show notes to hear any of the music we discuss, hear more of William's work, or hear some really cool articles about the didgeridoo. But let's get to today's episode. That's enough from me. I'm Bradley McCaw, and this is Ramble City. Welcome to Ramble City. About now is about um, the reason why you are or I am the way I am as a musician yeah. and as a composer. And it's about the truth and the truth as uh, an artist um, to create a genuine story or to be a part of a genuine story. That's that's what we can talk about. And I guess um, to become a, a great artist, you know, like for me, I'm, I'm still developing that, not necessarily searching for that. It's something that's Part, a part of you um, from your first existence or breath um, as an artist um, to, to find your own tone, tone, tonality, like a guitarist with their foot pedals or their, you know, their playing style and their technique. So it's like when I was taught by my uncle, the did you do, it was more about me listening you know, and learning that way. Then of course there's probably moments where I was a humbug and like, oh, how do you do this kookaburra sound or mm. how do you do that circular breathing technique to play faster or so or whatever. Bits that's like a jigsaw puzzle, you'll put, put those elements together. So to, to break it down, you've got the technique, the technical aspects of any instrument, but then how do you put that technique into a true meaningful expression that you can feel, but also 
someone like yourself can feel, even if they haven't heard heard the instrument before? Or how where's that fine line or that grey area between um, people not liking a certain style of music, yet there might be one element of a particular music style or an artist that they like. Oh, they might like that one song, you know. But that means that artist has sort of done their job, you know, in terms of, you know, even if it's not reflective as a job, it's a it's reflective as a passion, and so they've, you know, given something to a person that might not necessarily like that particular thing, and so with the did you do that's the, the universal language of music again, not just for the did you do, but for all in all musical elements and and visual arts and all those aspects as a, a creative person, a creative being. And so back to the technical thing, like, you know, um, it's about foundation, about learning the true foundation of what the heart of something with passion is and where that story has come from and where is it, where is it going. And so reflecting upon where I come from, Mount Isa, you know, I grew up in Mount Isa, it's a mining community, but still quite a multicultural um, uh, place, you know, um, because of the gold rush days, you know, there's a lot of uh, Chinese uh, and Asian uh, influence there as well in, in the food and the cooking and our old friends, you know, were um, from, you know, Asian background. And then we went to the Mount Isa Folk Club. And so I experienced the, the more of the, the folky music, the Scottish bagpipes, uh, the Welsh people and and um, the old, um, like, bushies, you know, would call them, you know, the old folk musos and that, the banjos and stuff. And so as a young kid, a very young kid, you know, I experienced that on top of mum playing classical to music to me before I was born and during my childhood, which sort of brings it back down to um, where, why I am the way I am now as a musician, because that seed was planted of all these different musical styles and genres that's not necessarily force upon me, but they are there, you know, drifting in the background around around my sort of developing universe that I was, you know, walking within. And then there was those cultural aspects where I was connected to the land and to my, my ancestral, um, uh, I guess, culture and, and heritage, which was the Kalkadunga people of Mount Isa. So my father was a traditional elder and I, you know, had the great fortunate experience of being able to travel out in the bush and go going to visit uh, sites of cultural sites of significance and hear the stories about those places and so those stories um, of course are reflective in some of my some of my I guess my playing moments on stage because I reflect upon the landscape and visualize things as well but when I'm doing a collaboration like for example with Peter Skullthorpe's of the world or even other artists and I'm, you know, memorizing particular moments in a 15 minute work. I, I think of, you know, like, a, like being, in the, uh, being in the seat of an eagle, you know, like I'm flying above this landscape and it helps me memorize certain moments in that musical score. But when you look at a score, yeah, there's all these little black, di- black dots on a white piece of paper. <laughs> and so I'm not one of those people who just like to read my like just the one part, I gotta see the whole landscape of the school. So I have to have the conductor score on stage with me. If I'm doing a, you know, very particular crazy piece where it's quite complicated and 
and I'm not necessarily improvising, but I'm reading how I have to go bar by bar sort of thing. Uh, the symphonic work, um, is it Kaldunga? Uh, Kal Kaldunga. Um And, you know, I can imagine, you know, playing that work on stage, the interplay between the dig and then the, the symphony, you'd have to have the entire score there. It's not, it, it seemed to me like it was very, very set out and very, very, very scored. Was that the case? Well, you were the, the background on Kalkadunga. So when we first were approached, uh, Matthew Heinz and I, to, to write the piece as a co-collaborative work by the Sydney Symphony, so, so I suggested, how about we sort of base it upon the Kalkadunga people, my people, because that's the passion, that's the passion of the story. Yeah. So that, that bit was easy um, to start with. And then the song that I sing within the work is Kalkadungu, which I wrote when I was 15 years old. So that melody and the song, the lyrics in my language, uh, I wrote when I was 15. And that was, that's about the passing of the culture from one generation to the next. And so we set that up because that's, you know, proud Kalkadungu man walking in this Western world, mm. or in this case, a concert hall, you know, with the thunderous power of um, a Western, you know, perhaps European classical orchestra feeling, you know. Yeah. And and even reflecting upon that, like how I tell that story is, you know, like all the great old composers, you know, they, they wrote about their land. They were mm. passionate about their land and, uh, you know, nationalistic, you know, patriotic. And so this piece is like that too because I'm, we are writing about my, my people and how... Uh, much of a, a warrior-like tribe they were. Well, they were a warrior tribe, you know, the Kalkadunga people, how they fought a 10-year resistance battle against, you know, the first European settlers in the area. And um, in the end, the spear and the boomerang weren't no match for the white man's um, gun. So the basis of Kalkadunga, the symphonic work, is, yeah, based upon that battle at Battle Mountain in Mount Isa, well, outside of Mount Isa, and the bloodshed um, surrounding that fight and the story of how my father met one of the old um, tribal warriors, old Wild Harry, and he had a bone through his nose. And my dad met this old fella when dad was like maybe 11 years old, and this old fella you know, like in his 80s. So he was there at that, at that moment, you know, in one of the, one of the wars against the... The, um, the troopers and so on, and so all those experiences and the landscape. As I talk about this, I'm I'm reflecting upon where I was taken as a kid to this place, Battle Mountain, um, and some of those places are quite eerie, mm. and some of those places don't even even if there's a waterhole, they don't have birds there, and if you think about that, that's really strange because it's out in the middle of the bush. And birds, little the little birds need to be near water, you know. Um, of course, they can travel a little bit. We sort of held off on the didgeridoo component until the end. And I, I think that was a cool thing to do because people know me as a didgeridoo player. And so we had <laughs> to wait till the end. Yeah, yeah. And the way, talking about the notational aspect of, of the score, we did half-half. Matthew, you know, is an amazing writer. But I thought I'd, I'd write the particularly the do-you-do part. And just for the um, preservation of writing the, 
the notes, you know, like all these six tuplets, you know, yeah. look fancy on the piece of paper, but really, um, you know, that's the language, you know, and so, so that's what I speak naturally through the instrument. Yeah. And so I'll still improvise that. So for, just for the, um, um, uh, concern of writing the work, you know, I, I put the notation in, into the, um, the score. Um, but so are you saying that there was like a, a rhythmical kind of structure, but within that you still just played with what was there yeah. yourself? Yeah. 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 Cause that's the way that the dig has to operate because of the rhythms that it needs to, yeah. to move. Cause I wrote the, uh, the bass drum solo yeah. and, um, and that's a section that comes out of, you know, um, the prior movement where I do the big didgeridoo solo and then the drum, I uh, cue the, the, um, uh, drum soloist yeah. come in and then we feed off and so all those cross rhythm things yeah. and that's that's me being a, like a did you do player yeah and when i do a solo thing where it's about uh um metrologic sort of um you know time signatures and stuff where i like to um um put myself out of time yeah when i'm improvising and and even when i'm not improvising it's about freedom and that's why i guess rhythmically uh, one can adapt to various, um, you know, grooves and that quite easily. Yeah, because I'm into that sort of thing, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and just you being free and taking the did you do outside of the box and uh, using it purely as an instrument as well. Yeah. So you're connecting with the audience and yourself, not only musically or spiritually first, so, but also musically, all these different sort of articulations and techniques, and then exploring those techniques to make a story. It's an instrument that is is old, you know, and the breath, the human breath that I guess is present within the instrument is one of the first instruments as well, you know, yeah. the human voice. And so when you combine the two, it creates this, this memory, I guess, of an ancient chant, and the ancient chant of the earth, and the ancient chant of the first heartbeat, uh, when you're talking about the deepness of it and yes it does stop you in your tracks you know even, even myself when you you know walking around overseas then you might hear you know some you know german playing it in the mall or something on the street you know and, and so it's you know a worldly instrument mm. it's a branch of a tree that's been well traditionally hollowed out by the termites the white ants and people i guess they can get hooked on it you know, which is a great thing and then there's a tradition of it where it's used as a ceremonial instrument and also as, as a healing instrument is of importance, you know, and the different uh, keys that you can get, or, you know, you can get the whole range of keys, you know, the musical scale, but certain keys are, of course, you know, healing keys and, uh, um, and that's why it's so, such a meditational instrument as well. And, you know, you don't have to play fast and furious and all the fancy stuff. You don't have to do a big Jimi Hendrix or Stevie Vai solo <laughs> one. You know, it can be just very, um, very zen and chilled. Yeah. And, you know, everyone can play the instrument or anyone can play the instrument. And it just depends on where they want to take it themselves, whether they want to 
advance on particular musical skills on the instrument or just have a chill out time for themselves, themselves when they play the instrument. Um, sometimes I forget how powerful the instrument be- is because I play. Yeah. And um, you're in kind of the passing over of that as opposed to being on the end yeah. of it. Yeah. And then again, when you see, like, you know, about the, con- like the conversation we had a little bit earlier about um, uh, what was the conversation we were having earlier about? I guess the, the role of the artist or yeah, the finding role, the finding role, your place as an yeah, artist. Finding your place as an, as an artist and uh, or creating that story for um, an audience member. You know, and it's those moments where you might just give the inspiration to one person. Yeah. Whether it's an adult or a young child, and they come up and say hello, or, you know, like, and want to meet you, and, and they say, oh, you know, my son has picked up the trombone or tube or my daughter's, you know, started playing flute or something, you know, um, inspired by a musical moment. Mm. Actually, in fact, um, last week um, when I was, you know, just returned from New York and went straight on to, to Melbourne for the Melbourne Recital Centre, uh, 10th anniversary gala dinner, you know, it's the announcement of my 2019 artist in residence there as well. There's a, a young lady there came up to me and said, oh, well, um, when you were in Mount Isa, like, um, did you come to the school at, um, you know, so-and-so and you were there with a quartet and I've got a photo of us and I was eight years old and um, I was playing the cello and we played uh, Ode to Joy and you played D on the D do and I remember, I remember it so vividly. And, um, and so, yeah, I said, oh, cool. It's <laughs> a photo. And you sent the photo to me. And it's a photo here, yeah, like, playing your eight-year-old, uh, you know, cellist, you know, yeah. playing playing with me on the did you do. Yeah, those moments are sort of great. So those moments, are, they're the things that remind you of how important music is to, to, to everyone and um, whatever, what, whatever the instrument you play. Um, if you can inspire the one person, you know, yeah, in a good way and they can be the next next generational storyteller, you know. Yeah, they can go to a school and someone will come up to them in 10 years' time. And, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a special thing that artists have to be able to do that. Or even if um, they're not inspiring someone to pick up an instrument, but it might just remind them of a, uh, a, a nice moment in their life. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes I feel like too when you're on stage, you as in we the artist, when you're doing it, you're you know you you're doing your job and that, and, and we enjoy it, and there's all the things that go along with that. But then those moments with with like a general connection with someone remind us why we do it. Mm. We don't often get that all the time, and when we do our job, yeah, because the focus is on well, no, actually that story landed or that did well, so that was that's a completion of that. But with that person, it's like. Oh, that's right. People do feel something, and you know, like you know, yeah. that's yeah, 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 yeah. Um, that's special and important. So um, you're influenced by all different musics. Like you said, you grew up. So there was classical music in the house, and there was the folk club, and you, you know, you play guitar, um, and uh, you know, how do you see an intersection of that? And is it different hats for different genres, or is it all just kind of when the mood strikes, it comes out how it comes out? Because in addition to that, I find that 
folk music, if we want to say folk music from all around the world, uh, let me put, let me reframe it. American popular music is, in a way, folk music that comes through into rock and roll through rhythm and blues and, and all that sort of stuff. And then that music influences us in one way. And then there's the European tradition with classical music. And then that's another hat. And it's from all different places. How does that come together uh, in when you're writing, I guess, when you're playing? I guess uh, you draw upon those elements of diversity, like, uh, like an artist with their canvas and their different paints and their different tones. You, know, you mix one colour with the other, it creates a mood, and then you add another colour to it and it, it creates, I guess, a, an articulation that brings something out in the background of, of the colour that you have there. Um, so musically, uh, one could just start with a very simple chord, you know, um, a pedal, a, a pedal note, and then you add that other colour to it, and then that sort of like, you know, starts the um, the rhythm or the melody on top of that. And when you connect with other musical styles, I guess it's just a, a diversity of of listening. It, it is about listening, and so as as well as being someone who's talking through your instrument, speaking through your instrument, it's it's just as important to listen, I, I believe. Um, so I don't I don't see that there's, of course there's, you know, up front there is a um, a difference between different music styles and oh how can you fit the did you do with folk music or how can you yeah. did you do with classical music or, or whatever. Um, really, really, if you're good enough, you know, you can, you can bridge that gap musically and like just having a conversation, you know, Australian, an Australian between a French person or Australian between a German person. Yeah. Um, you might, you might have little bit of difficulty at listening in the first bit but then the accent you can pick up the accent then in a little bit of time yeah and some people have you know they're in tune more to be able to adapt to um, listening to a different accent more quickly than others and and that's fine you know that's why musicians are really good at learning different languages as well because because of that rhythmical aspect of the language and the melodic flow in and when you're learning a language, it's you know, it helps us memorize um, those pivotal points in in learning things, which is which is cool and good. Even when you're improvising. So one says, Yes, it's it's great to be a sight reader, but it's also great to be an improviser. And to, to combine the two there's not many like, well, in my opinion, you know, great artists who can do the both, like yeah. really good. You know? yeah. yeah, certainly there's a lot, but they're a, a small group around the world of yeah. people. But when you have the two combined, it's, it's a really great thing because, you know, you can write, I can write a score for someone who plays great violin, but if they're a great improviser as well, it's really great. Uh, it just expands that broader palette of, um, expression i guess it's a different way of learning too isn't it sometimes or and playing with the two 
the great improviser and the great player would probably prepare in different ways. So yeah. the intersection of those two gives you a bit more... I don't know what it is. Sometimes it feels like loose, looseness or sometimes... I don't know, because that's not really it, accurate sometimes it, it, either. It opens up the rigidness of, um, of a performer. If you, can, if you are confident in improvising yeah. or being allow, allowing yourself to be free is probably a better word, like um, not be so on the, on the paper, on the dot on that black dot, on that white piece of paper. Um, if you can step outside of that, you know, rigidness, it sort of just gives you a bit more, um, less stress, I guess. Maybe, yeah. maybe more, yeah. actually. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, so for example, with the scores that are notated, um, like from my previous work of Skullthorpe, Peter Skullthorpe, the original collaboration process was it was a squiggly line on the on the piece of paper, on his score, and then a handwritten note. Oh yeah, more bird sounds here, or whatever, you know. Uh, but then, as Skullthorpe became more familiar, in a in a short period of time of, I guess my ability as an improviser, he, he gave me more free reign on, you know, whatever I wanted to do. Yeah. But having said that, being an improviser, I guess a skilled improviser, um, a strong improviser. Um, the more time to play the piece, of course, the more it becomes structured anyway. And yeah. so, so you're still creating a compositional work, a compositional component within a structured work. And so, you know, you, you are, even as a soloist, um, you know, you're, you're performing a soloist, a solo, as a soloist within an orchestral work, but you are in, in essentially like a, another composer to that work yeah um, because you're you know creating something or you're adding something to it as well um and even for the orchestra having said that again like um an orchestral work is and can be different every time it's performed because if you think about it the way the conductor um brings out the life in the score they'll have their own style you know they could be um, they could be taught by a certain, you know, um, they could be men could have been mentored by a certain person who was more, um, you know, serious and and so on. And then the, you know, another guy could have been or guy or girl could have been mentored by someone that's a bit more freer and stuff. And so the orchestral component, even though it's notated, can be quite different. And also because of its where it's performed as well in the in the environment in the space and also because of the musicians and what instruments they're playing. So all these slight variations, um, even if they're, you know, 3%, make a big difference of how that work is sound, work sounds. And, um... It makes sense then being, uh, you know, a highly tuned listener like you're saying, from being in those, being in that sort of environment, you know, all the time and going that three percent, I'm going this way. That makes that I hear that, you know, like that's a. It's like making a coffee. Um, it's about consistency, and uh, if there's that, you know, usually if you have you've got to have the good coffee grains, coffee beans, and temperature of the water and the milk, and when you put the sugar in, and so if you go too much over 3% or 
you know, he'll turn that coffee into a not, not so good coffee. And then, but what, what is a not so good coffee for one person might be <laughs> really great for another. <laughs> that might be just happy with one. Don't pull that thread. <laughs> 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 so what do, well, how do you see, you know, the next part of, um, you know, the incredible achievements and accomplishments thus far and playing all around the world with different musicians and different people and different, you know, in different, in different ways? Do you make a plan for things? Do you just come along with what comes next and sort of move forward in that manner or do you have a... It is a little bit ever flow at times, but you do make a plan, but also you... You go up the flow, and so it's finding as you as you move on in life, you you find a balance between the two, where you feel you need to worry about things, and then where you don't worry about things. Um, it comes down to priorities and and how you engage with what you want at the time, um, and they can be forever changing. So you have your long term goals, your mid mid term goals. And but only you can discover that, and it's just a process that I think everyone has to go through. Um, you know, you can't get your your whole life sort of printed out in the book already. Otherwise, we'd all have the things that we want, you know. And so each chapter of life is like each year um, where you think, okay, I want to do this now, you know. But again, it for me right at the moment, it is about. Um, realizing that I've got to be the person that is the truth of my art form and that's where it comes back to my grassroots um, aspects as an artist because people you know want to hear the truth and if you can combine it through your art form in the most purest purest form that's where you'll you'll your heart will take you where you want to um, as an artist and to be truthful and, and recognize, you know, the contributions that have been, I guess, given to one, like, like, you know, from your family or from the inspirational moments, like out in the bush. So those moments, so they're little things, but they're big things in the long term. So. For me to have a memory of, you know, sitting around the campfire or near a waterhole outside of Mount Isa as a kid, they're special things. When I do that big gig, like, you know, when I did the Commonwealth Games, standing on top of what was the Southern Hemisphere's most tallest building in the Q1 on the Gold Coast, hanging off there and off the top of that in, in a harness, you know, thinking here I am playing to the, a world audience um, as a key focal featured you know, perform a, 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 this particular event. And then I think, oh yeah, but then I come from Mount Isa as well. So it's, it's okay to, you know, think of where you come from, but also to be, be, to be continually progressive. But um, for me again, it's, yeah, you can progress with um, a true heart and true art form from your purest and most beautiful moments, you know. Um, and just build on that. And that's the way that I, I believe I you know, want to go, continue to go with that. Mm. Well, I think uh, I can't wait to be able to benefit from the music that you, you make through that. Thank you very much, William, for talking to us today on the show. Thank you. This has been Ramble City. 
a podcast of conversations with interesting people musing on art, life and their careers. Created and produced by Old Fashioned Media. To hear more and discover additional material from today's episode, visit OFM.com. Thank you.